Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equality, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Gavin Lewis, Managing Director at BlackRock. Gavin Lewis has been active in highlighting the challenges with a view to increasing ethnic minority representation in the asset management industry and helping to find solutions. One of his key initiatives is co-creating the hashtag TalkAboutBlack movement, dedicated to addressing the taboo that is race in Britain today. He has also worked with asset management firms to create mentoring circles for junior and mid-level ethnic minority professionals and with industry CEOs to create action plans for increasing ethnic minority representation. Gavin has held senior roles at Russell Investments, UBS Asset Management and Vanguard Asset Management and he is currently a Managing Director at BlackRock. So Gavin, well, pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. So tell us about Talk About Black. Now, why was it set up and can you give us some examples of, uh, of the work and, and its impact? Sure, absolutely. Um, so it it's interesting because it kind of came across accidentally. The, the the background to this is that an asset management movement called the Diversity Project was established by Dame Helena Morrissey. And uh, Helena and a few women initially um, focused on gender representation in the asset management industry, but then realized that there were other characteristics that would be, um, that are challenged as well. And they felt it would be remiss not to focus on um, those. So I was asked to join the Diversity Project and lead the ethnicity workstream. And the initial brief was uh, BAME. So it was go away, figure out how to increase BAME representation in the uh, asset management industry. And a group of us sat around a table, um, literally with a blank sheet of paper, and the first thing we did is discuss BAME and whether it was appropriate or not. The group was a mixture of black and Asian asset management professionals. And we felt it did a disservice to us because I'm not a BAME person, I'm a black person. Um, And the challenges facing black, Asian and minority ethnic individuals are all different. So it's not a homogenous group. So the first thing that we did is disaggregate the acronym and broke it down into its component parts. Quite interestingly, um, myself and, and some of the other black professionals kind of put forward the idea of maybe we should deal with Asian representation. And it, it tells you how far the conversation has come because even us as black professionals didn't want to confront the fact that there is black underrepresentation. But the Asian um, individuals in the group said, um, actually, and they were Indian, said, actually, we're doing okay. It's you guys that need the help because you are virtually the only people that we see um, at any um, level, but particularly the senior level. So we decided to focus on black, so the B in BAME. To be honest, we could it could have gone a, a, another way because if you look at um, the challenges facing ethnic minorities in the UK, the most challenged groups are black, Bangladeshi, and Pakistani. Um, but given there were black individuals in the room, we decided to focus on black, so it's the B. 
The next challenge we had is that, okay, if you're going to take this on, where do you start? Because it's all very well saying that you want to increase representation in the asset management industry for black professionals, but there's a whole socioeconomic, political, historical context to the reason why those individuals are not represented and when they do get in the industry, why they don't progress. So we debated this long and hard, but felt it appropriate to take it right back to the roots of the problem. And the discussions led to us focusing on four distinct obstacles. To make it more um, understandable or accessible for people that perhaps haven't experienced this, um, we used the analogy of a hosepipe. And the analogy basically suggested that there is talent and potential, and it does exist, but what you basically have are kinks in the hosepipe that stop that talent from reaching its potential. And to resolve the problems, there's no point in just unkinking one part of the hosepipe because it's a blockage further down or further up. You need to unkink all the um, obstacles. And we landed on four. The first is the socioeconomic context or situation that many um, black people find themselves in. So in tackling that really interesting analogy about the hosepipe so end to end, what, what did you find? So we found that there are um, four distinct challenges that individuals, black individuals face in the UK. And I'll make a distinction here. For us, the real focus was particularly UK-born black um, individuals because a lot of um, firms will point to black representation at maybe senior levels, um, but we tend to find that they're not born here. So either that they are US professionals, and I'm not suggesting that the US situation is any better than it is in the UK, but you do see successful, more successful black uh, professionals in the US than you do in the in the UK. Um, or we see um, professionals from, for example, West, A- West Africa, so particularly Ghana and um, Nigeria. And that is, that is fantastic, but it seems to be a problem which is unique to um, black people which are born in the UK, which is challenged. I have to add a disclaimer here. This isn't all black people, um, so there will be some that this will be alien to, um, but there are many who feel um, that this is pertinent and resonates with them. So the first challenge is that socioeconomic um, context in which they find themselves, and that is typically characterised by high levels of unemployment, higher um, statistics um, related to crime, and really for us, um, an underperformance in education. So we find that the most challenged groups, again, are typically um, UK-born black students, particularly boys and particularly Caribbean boys. And I say that from experience because I was one of those black Caribbean boys who was underperforming in education, um, but I can talk about that um, maybe a bit later. That said, there are black students who do do very well. And again, for context, I became one of them. But what we find is that even if they do achieve a good education, for some reason they don't apply to work in the asset management industry, or when they do apply, they rarely secure their um, preferred role. So kink number two is the fact that how do we actually get them into the industry? There is a question there about sort of how do you inspire them into the world of financial services? Correct. And um, if you're a young black student and you um, go to one of these big asset management firms and there's no one that looks like you, sounds like you, can relate to you, it will seem like a very, very 
uncomfortable and alien place. Um, so there's there's absolutely a question about role modeling, but for us as the asset management industry, the world is changing um, and we I'm not sure we've kept up with that change just in terms of work practices, culture, what we stand for as an industry. So there's a whole narrative there around attracting talent and retaining it, particularly diverse talent. The third uh, kink is that when these individuals do get into the workplace, we find they typically end up in support um, or back office functions and rarely in leadership positions. So there's a much higher rate of attrition for that demographic than there is compared to their white uh, counterparts. And where this really manifests itself is in leadership. So when you look at the leadership of organizations, certainly at the board level, there are very few, if any, uh, black uh, professionals. When you look at CEOs leading firms, there are very few, if any, black professionals. When you look at the C-suite minus one, there are very few, if any, black professionals. I can go on, um, but you get the you get the picture. Um, and the fourth kink um, is the fact that as a society, we're just not comfortable talking about this. So um, we felt that if you're going to make a difference, the first thing is, is understanding the problem. It's very interesting that in the UK, we, we seem for many years to have to believe that we function in a post-racial society and that race is no longer a problem here. I have my own views on why that is the case. Mm -hmm. And of course, we sit here at the moment when, you know, uh, uh, there, there are questions about members of the royal family who are leaving with, with questions about uh, race associated with, is that a reason why they're leaving? Correct. And I think that I think the challenge is that when most people think about um, race, racism or having an issue with the race, they think about the ugly side of it, which is in your face, often violent and often characterised by, you know, certain words and distinct behaviours, so the N-word um, being, being a prime example. What I don't think people realise is that it can also take a different form and that can be institutionalised. And it can also be in attitudes and behaviours towards um, black individuals, which may not be explicit, but it's about how those individuals feel they are being treated and how and why they still struggle to have a seat at the table and you know we have an issue with race in this this country it's the lived experience of those individuals will tell you as much the statistics will tell you as much and anecdotal evidence suggesting otherwise I don't think carries weight. So, so having done an analysis at the very beginning, uh, what has your main focus been in terms of I mean, where, where, where to begin in those kind of four kinks that you've beautifully laid out there where I mean where on earth did you start? We felt that the lowest hanging fruit, um, when I say that, that lower hanging fruit is right at the top of the tree. Um, but that lower hanging fruit would be to at least put the issue on the agenda. 
So, with the very senior management of the organisation, just so they're aware of. Or, with, or? With, with actually all levels of, organ, okay. of organisations. Mm-hmm. Um, myself and um, the co founder of Talk About Black, um, who's one of the chairs of Reddington and Investment Consultancy, Dawid Kanutiahulu, thought we'd, the best way to do this was to take a different approach. So, we'd seen this was right in the epicentre of the Me Too movement, and we'd seen the certainly the amazing things that the women's movement had done, but also the challenges the women's movement faced because a lot of men had become very, very defensive and had shut down the conversation because this whole DNI thing, they just didn't feel included. So we felt that um, we needed to take a different approach. The last thing we wanted was for um, the majority um, to say, right, okay, we've had women, uh, and then we had the gay community. Oh, here come the black people as well. We didn't want that reaction, and that was a concern of ours. So we tried to give them some insight into our lived experience. So we wrote blogs. So Dawid wrote a blog um, called So Can We Talk? Can We Talk About Black? And this was about his experience being a lawyer and then a financial services professional living and working in the in the UK. So I then wrote a blog and that blog was called Now That I Have Your Attention. So what Dowd did is he laid out the four kinks and I, through my lived experience, uh, brought it to life. So I talked about growing up in a single parent family in Tottenham, which is an inner city area on a council estate and my experience with overt racism, attending a school in Enfield, knife crime, my the fact that education became my way out, uh, my experience then navigating the corporate world and then getting to um, senior positions and all that came with it. And those blogs went viral, which is fantastic because uh, it well, seemed absolutely. to capture the, the, the attention of people. And, and we'll, we'll make sure they go out uh, uh, so across the podcast channels as well, which, which will be amazing. And, and so, so publishing... Uh, materials and, and articles and blogs and insights uh, is, is one route. And I know you do a lot around sort of mentorship and leadership programmes. Can you just talk to us a bit about that as well? Sure. And I would also say that in addition to the publishing, we've had panel or individual conversations with probably over 100 organisations now. So we've gone in and brought and talked about what we've, um, our lived experience and what we're, what we're doing. So that, we think, has really moved the dial because those 100 organisations now have had someone go in, talk about this, and they've gone away and then implemented things themselves. I was going to say, and, and have they sort of got engaged with, with what you're trying to achieve? And, and what sort of things are those organisations doing? I mean, I'm just wondering if there are kind of heads of DNI and there are leaders in the industry listening to the podcast. Uh, if there are a couple of practical things that they should go away from hearing this and going, we should just do that tomorrow in, in a heartbeat, what might they be? Yeah, so this is also wrapped up in unravelling some of the other kinks. So the third kink in terms of that progression um, really encompasses mentoring, which you've mentioned, and dis- discussing the challenges with CEOs. So for the CEOs and the leaders of organisations, um, we put together a five-point action plan, which we felt through our lived experience would, again, make a difference. And... The first thing um, that we suggest organisations do is discuss this issue with your black and ethnic minority populations. 
Mm-hmm. Because what often happens is companies issue surveys and the surveys come back and say that, oh, well, there isn't really a problem or they're not really telling us. The reason why is because those populations don't trust you. They don't trust why you're asking and they don't trust that anything will be done. So the first thing to do is don't hide behind a survey, sit down and have a discussion with those individuals. And you might not get the truth after one session. It's going to take a while. It's a relationship. It is. It's absolutely a relationship. It is. And you'll find that many of those individuals have entered those organisations and have played down the fact that they are a minority because it's never been an advantage. It's been a disadvantage. Uh, So speaking out about it, well, I mean, I think that is difficult and challenging for many people. You're probably asking why I've decided to do it, which is a good question. But yeah, but it, but it's interesting you say that because we, we've heard that um, a number of times where people say, you know, it's all good on paper and having the initiatives and the five-point plans, which is which is wonderful because it's very practical and it's about engagement with, with employees at a time when employees may not feel particularly engaged with or indeed this question of trust actually is very important. But there's the other side of it, which is about the confidence to speak up and the certainty that if you do speak up, that actually it won't negatively impact your career journey as well. And, and are you seeing a shift? Uh, has that been one of the great things that's come out of, I don't want to ask you a leading question, but they one of the things that's come out of uh, in, engaging with more senior people and just, just seeing that that kind of trust has changed and the conversation is much more engaged. So I'll I'll be very honest here. I think that what you find is that the CEOs in the C-suite get it and they want to do something about it. And that is a significant change from where we we were or have been. I think the the challenge, however, is that I have a a good network of, of black professionals that I've cultivated over the years and in the asset management industry and outside of it. And they are still facing challenges because they are black. Uh, so I think there is a there's still a chasm between what the intention is and those lived experiences. So I think it's positive that it's now on the agenda. The reality is that we still have a long way to go. And what do you think as you look ahead sort of the next sort of two or three years? What are your what are you optimistic about in terms of you know, continuing to have the conversations, continuing to drive change so that this becomes a change reality? And and, and what's uh, the hashtag talk about black movement? Um, good, I call it a movement. It feels like a movement to me. Um, I mean, what are you focused on in order to keep that momentum going? Right. So I think if we if we had the sense that it wasn't making a difference, we would... Um, I'm not saying we would have given up, but it would have been difficult to keep it to keep it going. So I think the I think what we've done is laid the foundations for change, um, and I think it's a bit too premature to suggest that change has happened. But I think what we now have the opportunity to do is really build upon the momentum that we've created. So um, a, there are a few things that we are that we are doing. We we do feel that that CEO conversation needs to advance, and what we need is a. And I'm not suggesting this needs to be like the 30% club for black professionals or black board members, but we do think we need something in place which actually targets driving representation at the C-suite because the talent does exist and it's just not getting through. And should that come in the form of quotas? Um, So it's interesting. So if you'd have asked me, do I believe in quotas a couple of years ago, I would have said no. If you ask me now, I'll still say no. Only because I think that the, the language, maybe it's syntax, but the language of um, quotas is quite alien in the professional world. 
Uh, but I do believe in targets because we are used to that and we are used to having a number attached to something. Uh, but if you are going to do it, it needs to be um, backed up by incentives. So, for example, if you're targeting a manager to increase representation of minorities in his team, he needs to be penalised or she needs to be penalised if um, he or she doesn't achieve those targets and rewarded if they do. So it needs to be, in as you would with any other target in it's the financial... It's the appraisal process, isn't it? It's Correct. all part of the scorecard. And, yeah, Correct. Absolutely. Correct. Because yeah. I, mm-hmm. unfortunately, look, we've been doing this for two years now and we need to move the dial in a different way now. The other thing which we are doing is, look, we're going to continue the mentoring circles and this has been fantastic for early and mid-level entry black um, and to be honest, it's not just black. We have a, a mix of um, ethnic minority groups uh, there, uh, all socioeconomically challenged um, groups there. And we'll continue them because that's been great in terms of reverse mentoring for us. And that's been great in terms of allowing them to sit down with people who understand the nature of the problem and get some get some advice. Last year, we held our first uh, Student Insight Day which gave, again, black students an insight into the asset management industry. And that was us as an industry saying, look, we are attractive. We need you to help us um, navigate this changing world. As we had over 100 students um, who attended um, Mansion House, which was fantastic. So we'll, we'll be doing that again. The most difficult challenge is the socioeconomic one. So how do you increase the pipeline? Um, what do you what do you do? So that's the one which caused the most consternation in the group, and there were some um, who felt that well, we should just don't go any, anywhere near it. Can I ask why? Um, just because it means moving out of our sphere of influence and um, look, sticking in the professional environment is where we should be because this means engaging with communities and schools mm-hmm. it's a real grassroots it is yeah, it is yeah. um but to be honest i mean I f- again i think the calls upon the industry are changing then you know the population is asking us to resolve climate change but they're also not asking us to resolve societal inequalities so you know in some shape or form i think this is what businesses need to be doing personal view of course mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. um i think you do see organizations such as mine saying actually yes, we need to take responsibility for societies and communities as well as the environment. So, And of course, there is a broader backdrop of um, financial inclusion. So thinking about actually uh, individuals, whatever their background, thinking about their relationship with financial services and financial inclusion, uh, not to mention, of course, you know, they are the investors of tomorrow. You know, whatever journey that their career may well take and, and think about, you know, obviously the intention, that will be a very positive one. But of course, that doesn't always chime with the focus for those financial organisations to return, sometimes on a quarterly basis, better financial results. And it is a very fascinating time, I, th- I, th- I think, with that. So do you actually go into the schools? Right. So what, what we're proposing to do is um, launch an after-school programme where we will have students from the age of 14 who will follow a set curriculum, which will um, allow them to learn about the world of finance, both personal and professional, mm-hmm. and also fusion skills, which was a new term for soft skills, so that when they um, progress through education and interview for the corporate world, they've developed a familiarity with it. They know the language and the codes and how to interact with people who probably come from a different different background. So we're, we're at the final stages of planning. We have nine fund managers who signed up to the programme. 
I say nine fund managers, uh, which includes investment consultants as well. Don't forget and the consultants. Don't forget the consultants. <laughs> and um, this is in conjunction with the City of London Corporation, who've been very, very helpful in driving this. So subject to planning, uh, we intend to launch this quarter. And it's something that we're really excited about. And for me, it feels like I'm going back in time and looking at my younger self and actually able to help you know, kids who are just like me. Uh, so we think this will be um, hopefully a game changer you know, the aspiration is to do this on a national scale using technology and streaming lessons to schools. And I need to not get too far ahead of myself, but who knows? Well, I was going to say, ambition is a wonderful thing. It is also, uh, you, you mentioned it earlier about the the importance of role models. And I think you're an amazing role model and everybody's involved with the talk about black uh, movement, as I call it. But to go back into the schools and to inspire the next generation and to really think very critically about the talents of today and the talents of tomorrow, to bring them into the industry, but also uh, inspire them to, to engage with the industry in a very positive way and also stay in the industry is really important. Gavin, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Let's just take a pause at this moment, and I'm delighted to bring in Cynthia Akinsanya, who has some research to support the discussion. A 2019 article from The Guardian newspaper highlighted that Black Britons and those of South Asian origin face shocking discrimination in the labour market at levels unchanged since the late 60s. A study by experts based at the Centre for Social Investigation at Nuffield College, University of Oxford, found applicants from minority ethnic backgrounds had to send 80% more applications to get a positive response from an employer than a white person of British origin. A study linked by the same researchers comparing the results with similar field experiments dating back to 1969, found discrimination against Black Britons and those of South Asian origin, particularly Pakistanis, unchanged over almost 50 years. Great. Thank you, Cynthia. And of course, links to the research could be found on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com. And don't forget that's diversity with a C, not with an S. And you'll find all our episodes there and can sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Please do follow us on Twitter at DiversityPod and Diversity Podcast is available on all good podcast channels. And we'd love a rating because it all helps promote the show. Inspired by this interview with Gavin Lewis at Hashtag Talk About Black, we were keen to welcome other perspectives about what both organisations and potential candidates can do to appeal. And we were pleased to catch up with Raf Makadis, founder and CEO of Rare, the specialist in graduates diversity recruitment. Firstly, we asked him for his two top tips for organisations to consider when seeking to attract more diverse talent. Here's what he had to say. For organisations to improve their recruitment and get more good BAME candidates in, they really need to focus on recruiting potential rather than just polish. And I've got two concrete suggestions that help them do that. The first is contextualising achievement. The second is reducing bias. To contextualise achievement, particularly for people at the starts of their careers is quite easy. You don't just want to look at their work experience and their grades, you want to understand the context in which those grades and that work experience was achieved. So simply put, 
that AAB, did that come from a school where the average was AAA or the school where the average was two Ds? Their work experience, did they get that through a relative or friend? Or were they able to actually go out and secure it for themselves? Once you understand that, you have a better sense of what these achievements really mean. The other thing to do is to think about reducing bias in the interview process. It's quite common after an interview with someone who's different for the interviewer to feel, yeah, they were great, they ticked all the boxes, but there was something not quite right. And that's because the interviewer has got feelings generated from a part of his brain, often called the amygdala, which he can't really put into words. That's normal, it's natural, it happens to all of us. We've been developing software that helps you identify and reduce those biases. And it does seem that in the majority of cases, we're actually able to reduce the level of bias um, that interviews display, interviews display in these situations. So two relatively easy things that you can do to get a fairer process that helps you end up with, with better, higher potential people. And what about ethnic minority talents looking for a job? What tips would he give the graduates? If you're a BAME candidate and you're applying for a job, there are two things you should do. The first thing actually comes before you apply. It's doing your due diligence. Is this really a place that you want to work out? Is this a place where people like you have the opportunity to thrive? Go online. Read what people say. Look at your network. Ask, do you know anyone who works there? Do you know anyone who used to work there? Do you know anyone who might know anyone that works there? Find that person, have a cup of tea with them and get the goss. Quite often, if you're smart at this point, you'll decide not to apply. And if you're headhunted, tell the headhunter you want to have a 15 minute chat on the phone with the person who will potentially be your manager. The headhunter is going to spin things in a particular way. Uh, Just be explicit. Say, listen, I'm black or I'm Asian or I'm a practicing Muslim or whatever it might be. Uh, And we all know that the world isn't fair. I want to understand what this person's commitment to race diversity is really like. And I want to have a 10, 15 minute conversation with them on that basis to ask some questions. If the person isn't prepared to have the conversation, that in itself tells you potentially you don't want to be applying. I mean, if someone said that to me, I would absolutely take the time to have that conversation. The second thing, once you're in the process, particularly actually when you're drafting your application, um, your cover letter, your CV, but also when you're in the room, toot your own horn. One of the things that we've got at Rare is hundreds and hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of draft job applications we used machine learning um, to investigate them. And we found that white people, people from higher socioeconomic backgrounds and men are much more likely to talk about I rather than we in the context of their achievements. They're much more likely to use the active rather than the passive. And that often produces a sort of um, prototype of a leader, a doer, an achiever, even when you're talking about exactly the same things. So blow your own horn Talk about what you personally have done. Use the active voice. Make yourself sound like a winner because everybody wants to recruit winners. And our thanks to Raf Bacardis for those valuable insights. And of course, to our guest, Gavin Lewis from hashtag TalkAboutBlack for joining us on the show. 
My name's Julia Streets, and thank you, as always, for listening to Diversity Podcast. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsania for her insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com. And that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.